Two, one. Uh, let's pray, guys. Lord, uh, thank you for the today. Lord, we do thank you um, just for this opportunity to once again uh, meet together on Zoom. We do just pray um, for Lauren uh, Black and for Gareth, just as they do answer some of our questions. Pray that you would give them wisdom um, and really just may your spirit speak through them, Lord. And would you just help us to understand the answers that they give? Um, and would you just be with us today um, as we meet together? And pray this all in your holy name. Amen. All right, guys. So for those who have just joined us, perhaps on YouTube as well. Um, so what we're going to be doing is a Q&A session um, where the object is to... Um, well, ultimately, the object is to, to glorify God, um, but your uh, slightly lesser object objective is to ask the questions that are really burning you and use them to burn us. Um, so uh, we want to be cooked. Um, myself, Black, Lauren, uh, we, we want to be as deep fried as we possibly can. So uh, go ahead and try and fry us. Um, so having said that, we're going to get started, and I'm just going to scroll up. Uh, all right. So let's just look at these questions. Um, can we start here? Uh, I think, can I start with the... You can start with the top one. Yeah, I think let's just go with the, what's at the top. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the first question is, is uh, how can Jesus be the only way to God? Just because he is true for Christians, he cannot be the only truth. And it's wrong to say other people's truth is lies. Uh, guys, give me no. five minutes. No. That's a, sorry, that I nearly read something else there that I shouldn't have. I apologize for that. Um, so, uh, guys, is it so okay? Just read, read the question again. I think that's a good question. Maybe just want to read it again. Okay. So, so can I? Can I? I'll, I'll, I'll answer that first because that's at least a question that I can answer quite easily. Um, so I'll take the easy ones. You guys can take the hard ones. Mm -hmm. um, so, how can Jesus be the only way to God? Uh, just because He's true for Christians, He cannot be the only truth, and it's wrong to say other people's truth is a lie. Okay. So, uh, let me. Basically, what that question is saying is that uh, all religions get to God, uh, and that. It is wrong to say that other religions don't get to God. Um, so I think you can totally understand why people ask that question because let's face it, we all have friends who have different beliefs. Uh, some are Muslim, some are Hindu, and that's just the thought of knowing that they, um, when they die, they're not going to be with Jesus is a is a tragic thought. Um, but think of it this way. Uh, the question that we're asking really is, is God more loving to let uh, all religions get to him? Or is God more loving to have one religion? And uh, another question you could ask of a parent is, is it more loving for a parent to have one way of doing things in their house? Or is it more loving for a parent to have multiple ways of doing things in their house? If you look at it from a, a parent's perspective, it doesn't seem unloving um, to to have one way of doing things, right? Uh, if I had multiple children, and I said to the one child, "You can uh, do, you can, I don't know, eat as much ice cream as you like," 
and then I say to the other child, you can only eat vegetables. Um, I'm going to get a trouble in some, at some point, right? Because I appear to have double standards. Uh, I'm saying to the one child, you can do one thing. And I'm saying to another child, you can do not, you can do something completely different. So there's double standards there, which would cause a lot of conflict in my family. Um, because I have rules for one kid, but I don't have rules for the other kid. Now that's just a, a almost like a, a nice illustration. Let's take that to the real world where there's multiple religions. Uh, if God has double standards, that can have devastating effects. And we've actually seen that in the world. There are certain religions which actually say that you can kill in God's name. And yet in other religions, God is saying murder is wrong. So now God is actually not a loving God. He's a God with double standards and therefore kind of comes across as a God who doesn't care. Because if you go into a family's house where a parent has got different rules for everybody, it just appears like it, it actually just appears like that parent has given up. They don't care. They're just letting a free for all happen. And it's the same with God. God just appears like he actually doesn't care. Uh, one other thing to say about this is that if God allowed every any religion to, to get to him, then what's to say that I can't come up with a religion that says my way of worshiping God is shooting everybody? That's the way I worship God. So I just come into I'm not, We're at the Frost's house right now. If I came in here and I just shot everybody and said it was worship to my God. From our, if we say that all religions get to God, then what you're saying is that my religion is actually right. So then, what, what, you know, then, then what would happen is if we went that way, we would have to then say, well, there must be some kinds of laws that we have to put in place um, to restrict certain religions. But where do you get those laws? You have to; those laws have to be above every religion. So where do we get those laws from? It would have to be from God Himself. And those laws would have to be set laws. You can't have multiple sets of laws. You have to have one set of laws. So therefore, God is actually allowing one religion to get to him. So I know that sounds really deep. But the moral of the story is God is not a loving God if he allows multiple religions to get to him. I hope I've answered enough if I've left out something. Black, do you want to say something? Um, the only thing I'd say is um, Jesus, out of all the other leaders of the different religions, he's the only one who claimed to be the only way um, and the only truth. So, so Buddha did not say that he's the one and only way. Muhammad did not say he's the one and only way. Um, Ed Kotoli or whatever the guy who started the 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 secret he did not say he's the he's the one and only way so so i think it's it's dope to take jesus at his own word um he he's the one who made that claim so so it's un, it's unfair to say to christians as well that you can't say that you're the only way to god when god himself in the form of jesus said that so take jesus at his word um you know nobody else claimed that so if he claimed it then there's clearly something to investigate there uh, but I think I think Gareth Gareth nailed it um, on the head. I just wanted to say that one thing: take Jesus at his own word. All the other religious leaders never said that. So, yeah.
And I just want to say something on that as well, that often we sometimes, we just see all the religions in the world and we just like, which one do we choose? God, would you just come down here and just tell us which religion we should choose? And then God comes and he says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one gets to the father except through me. So if you want to know which religion is the truth and you want to talk to God about it, well, you can. Mm. Let's go read John's gospel. Mm. <laughs> cool. Should we move on to the next question? Yes, what's the next question? This question is, how do we know what is good and is God good? So let me read that again. How do we know what is good and is God good? Should I start with that one? Yeah. Do you have an answer? Well, yeah. So it's an interesting question because Plato, like thousands of years ago, was having this discussion. He was like, how do we know that what we call a chair and what we see is the same that is the same as what someone else calls a chair? Can we know anything about our reality? And I think the same thing is, can we know what is good? Um, and the truth is, we can't actually. Um, do we even know what the word good means? Does Jared mean the same thing by the word good that I do? Hmm. Um, we live in a world that says um, everything is kind of relative. It's perhaps linked to the, the question before. So um, how do we know what is good? We don't. We need someone else to tell us. Um, and if that seems illogical, we'd say, well, a child doesn't know what is red. You have to teach your child the color red. So why would we not have to be taught what good is? You know, we get so arrogant when we get older. We're like, oh, I don't need to know this. Like, um, I must know what good is on my own. Although you had to be taught what everything else was. So when it comes to being good, we need someone outside of ourselves to be like, hey, this is what good is. Now, people look to different things like philosophy or religion um, we look to Jesus, who who has put what good is in the Bible, and um, the Bible says God is good. So then you go, if you've made those two equal, God and good, I'm going to look at his actions to teach me what good is. Um, so the only answer I can give is we don't actually know. We do need someone outside of ourselves. And, the, and Christians say the answer for what good is and what that actually looks like is God. And actually, the closest picture we get is Jesus walking on earth mm. and we watch him being good, like touching people who are sick and welcoming people in and forgiving and loving. And then you're like, if that's what the Bible says is good, and if that's who the Bible says is good, I'm going to take it because I didn't know what red was. I had to be taught. So I'm, I need to know what good is as well. Mm. Um, I, I would also add there and say, I think, I mean, it's a, it's a big question and it's a, it's a brilliant question. Um, and, and so we could, we could speak about different standards of, of good, you know, so I was eating a banana this morning and you can speak about how good that banana was. Um, but, but I think that's, that's probably like a smaller um, conversation when it comes to goodness. Um, I wanted to, I think, comment on moral goodness, and I was just thinking about Romans 2, um, where Paul says that God has given us his law in our hearts, um, and so we would call that, we would call that our conscience. Mm. So on that level, um, because God's law is written on everyone's heart, Christian and non-Christian, um, that's what God is going to hold you uh, up against, um, whether you're a Christian or not. Because he'll he'll say your conscience did testify to you, meaning that it's it's God's law that was speaking in the moment when you were doing what is bad, 
um, instead of doing what is morally good. Um, so, so, so I think to, to an extent, um, I, uh, I mean, not to an extent, I fully agree with what Lauren is saying. We wouldn't know what good is um, if, if, if somebody outside of ourselves did not tell us and that that person is Jesus. But at the same time, point to testifies to us to confirm mm -hmm. what Jesus is telling us. So if Jesus tells us that not killing people is good, your conscience will confirm that to say what Jesus is saying is true. And again, the law of God is an extension of God. So, so God's law is, is, is an extension of who he is. It's an extension of his character. Um, so, so, so Romans tells us that no one has an excuse um, to some extent, and that extent being our conscience, being God's law written in our hearts. Uh, we, we have good is. Uh, we, need, we need Jesus to tell us. We need our conscience to confirm that. And vice versa, sometimes your conscience tells you this is a good thing. But you can't confirm it. So you use the truth of Jesus' words in the scriptures to confirm what your conscience is telling you. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, I hope that's not throwing things. Yeah. And uh, I'd also like to add to that as well. Because um, so... so uh, so you, you read Romans chapter two there, uh, and in, in Romans chapter one, uh, it talks about, it says that um, God has kind of made himself known to people through kind of, through looking at things like creation. Um, and uh, and I was thinking of, so if, if you guys haven't read it, a really good book to read, uh, though it's really intense, so take your time to read it, is a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Uh, and in it, so C.S. Lewis, if you don't know who he is, he's a massive brain. He once would lecture at, at at Oxford University and at Cambridge, and would travel by train between the two. Um, and he was a mass. He was uh, anyway, really big brain. Um, and he said something that I thought was really helpful. He said he asked this question. He said, "Why is it that there are certain rights and wrongs around the world that everybody agrees to, no matter what culture you're in?" And he mm. said, for example, he says, um, no matter where you go in the world, if you jump in front of a queue, if you, if you, ju if you jump a queue, uh, people will get angry at you. Now, why is that? Um, because selfishness is something that every culture hates. Uh, why is it that where you, ever you go in the world, if you take something, you steal something from somebody else, why is that wrong? And C.S. Lewis argues in the book that he says that um, it's evidence inside of us that God has written a law. Um, that, and, and therefore he goes on to argue that because of that, that God is true. But I wanted to just use that point to, because um, you might think to yourself, but how do we know God's law is written in our hearts as Romans 2 tells us? Well, aside from the Bible actually telling us that, there's actually evidence in your life. That there are certain things. So while Lauren is correct, we don't know everything that is right and wrong to the point that God actually writes 10 commandments to say, because you're so sinful, I needed to show you what is right and wrong. But there is also stuff that we actually know that is right and wrong, that is written into our hearts, that wherever you go in the world, you will you will be able to follow certain levels of ethics because of those rules. Um, so that was just adding to the conversation. All right, so the next question is, uh, can you explain Matthew 15, verse 21 to 28? Uh, why is Jesus saying these things? Okay, so I pulled this out earlier. Um, 
Let me go to Matthew chapter 15, uh, verse, and you said from verse 21 to 28. I just want to confirm something before I... Um, so I'm just going to read it out to us. Uh, and it says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman uh, from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out uh, after us, he answered. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, she said. Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you, as you, uh, as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Okay, so are you guys cool for me to give this a bash? Uh, Lauren Black. Okay. So you've got to understand uh, that in this passage, so there's, there's a few things you, you need to know. One is if you look at the passage beforehand uh, from, uh, from chapter 15 in the beginning, uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, which are basically, in terms of Jewish people, you don't get more Jewish than the Pharisees. Okay, So in terms of law-abiding people, the Pharisees were the best at keeping the law. So much so that they made extra laws and the laws, they ended up following the laws not to glorify God, but for their own sake, to look good in front of other people and, and to kind of like make sure that they had a place in heaven. So it was all about themselves and not about God. And then Jesus actually lambastes them. He, he actually really uh, gives them a rough, <laughs> rough talking to um for where their heart is at uh and then he explains that in the next portion if you uh just before the faith of the canaanite woman he he talks to them and he says listen um uh, sorry i'm just trying to find it uh where does he say it now um uh verse verse 10 of the same passage he says after talking to the Pharisees, he says, Hear and understand this. It is not what comes into your mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. So he's saying, if your heart is not in the right place, it doesn't matter if you try and be the most legalistic person in the world. You're not going to succeed because your heart is broken. And the way the Pharisees are speaking, it actually proves this. And then he goes on now to talk about the faith of the Canaanite woman. And what happens is, yes, I think the Lord actually knows what's going to happen at the end of this conversation. Now, something else. The first thing I said to you is you need to know that the Pharisees, that he's talking to the Jews first. The second thing that you need to know about this passage is that if you look at the Old Testament, this is the way God blessed the world. It first came to the Jews. So if you remember, God came and rescued the Jews. And he said out of this Jewish people would come one person, Jesus, that would eventually bless the world. So there is an order of the way um, God would save the world. First, it would be to the Jews, and then eventually it would be to everybody else. And so what Jesus is doing is he's talking to a Canaanite woman who's not a Jewish person, and she's coming to him, and she's crying out to him, um, saying, Lord, have mercy, on, uh, have mercy on me. 
and then he uses this kind of cryptic illustration. He says, uh, uh, it, is not to, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What he's meaning is, is that salvation has come to the Jewish people. And he's using the children in that illustration. And he's saying the, the, the rest of the world, like, like the dogs, the dogs get the leftovers. You know, like when you're eating supper, it's not that you love your dogs less. It's just that your dogs get the leftovers. So Jesus is saying the leftovers, when, you know, once it's gone to the Jews, then it'll go to the rest of the dogs. Okay. And then this woman shows her heart. And this is the brilliant part. And this is why Jesus, Jesus probably knew way before the conversation started that this was what, what was going to happen. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In other words, this woman, her heart, she's got so much faith that she's actually willing to be like a dog, this like lesser creature. She's humbled herself to that point because she knows that this is the only guy that can bring salvation. And so because of that, Jesus says, look at the difference between your heart and the heart of the Pharisees. The heart of this woman is she's humbling herself to the point of a dog in order to get salvation. She's not she's not huffing herself up. She's not lording it over people going, look how good I am at following the law. She's humbly coming before the Lord. And that is why Jesus then goes, your faith has healed you. I preached the full sermon there. I apologize. I hope I wasn't too long. And my daughter's just fallen. Black, do you want to add anything to that? Or I think that's brilliant, bro, because you see verse 28 and how Jesus um, changes his language uh, and calls her daughter, you know. So because because I think I think verses 26 and 27, as you read them. It, it, it force, it, it's making your heart puff up. It's making my heart puff up, you know, which is, which is what Jesus is preaching against. Cause I'm like, how could you call me a dog? You know, like I'm not a dog, but it's, I think, I think Matthew writes it in a way and Jesus speak, uses the language intentionally as well to prove the point. So just by reading it, it's proving the point of how our hearts can puff up and we can think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think of ourselves. So I, th I think I think Jesus does a brilliant job there of proving his point by by making the point, <laughs> you know. So so you you see that he's not just calling her a dog because he's like Jews are better, not at all. I mean, he's obviously rebuking the Pharisees, um, but he's just trying to prove the point. And for us who read who, who are reading this two thousand years later, our hearts are still the same as the as the Pharisees, and so. So I think I think it's a it's a brilliant it's a brilliant tool that Jesus uses there um, to to prove his point. So that was dope, bro. Thanks, B. Okay, so I'm just reading through these questions as we go. Um, so the next question is, uh, and this is burning this person up. They said so. We really need to answer it. It says the Bible says Jesus dies for the world. So why do I need to believe in Jesus or be a Christian? Okay, so that's a really good question. A question, uh, Black. Do you want to get the ball rolling on that one? Can you read it again, bro? So Jesus dies for the world. Why should I believe? I'm trying to find where the where the contention is. So I think what the person is saying is that if Jesus has died for everybody, um, yeah. then why do I need to believe in Him? 
you know, like surely if he's died for everyone, then then I I'm immediately part of that. You know what I'm saying? It's the question yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. So salvation salvation goes to you automatically. Um, I mean, there's probably like a number of ways to answer this question, but but um, so so as much as as much as Jesus, as much as the assumption says that Jesus died for for the whole world, um, it's salvation is still a gift that God gives, um, and so it doesn't necessarily mean that because God has has the gift um, that you automatically get it. You still need to receive it. You know what I mean. So if if I buy you a present, I can I can buy it and keep it at my house. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll get it if you're not willing to receive it. Um, so, so I think there is a sense in which um, you need to, what Romans 10 says, you need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died for you, that you are part of what John uh, 3.16 says when he speaks of the world, that you are part of, of that. Um, so there is a sense in which you need to open your heart, avail yourself to receive this gift of salvation that Jesus has given to the world. So, so there's, cause if, if, if we, if we take your assumption to its logical conclusion, then we end up with, uh, we end up with a reality where there's no hell because if Jesus did die for the world and if that's true and I'm going to receive salvation anyway, then God has, has wasted his time speaking about, about hell throughout the scriptures and, and his wrath is basically useless. Uh, what Romans 1.18 tells us that his wrath has been revealed um, from heaven against all ungodliness in this world, then Paul wasted time writing that, you know, so so hell is real, and for he to escape hell is to accept the gift of Jesus um, and not assume that because he died for the world that you automatically get it. You need to confess with your mouth, say Jesus is king, is Lord, he's died for me, believe it in your heart that that gift is for you um, and ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to seal you, meaning he's going to enter your heart and your life change and you live as a Christian and you move from the world into the kingdom of God. Um, so, so you have responsibility. You have to accept that. Um, yeah. Black, to add to your answer there, uh, so Black's answered the question. I'm just adding some other helpful information for us is that, so something that Jar Jared uh, Fister and I were chatting about this week is um, when you when you look back to Genesis chapter three, well, Genesis chapter two, when God made the world, um, he uh, he gives Adam and Eve uh, a, a form of grace. He gives them the choice to either follow him or not. Um, and one of the things I've been reflecting on for a while is is how God gives us choice uh, to follow him uh, as, a, as a thing of grace. And, and obviously Adam and Eve choose not to follow him and therefore the world falls and everything falls. Um, but it's their choice. And, uh, and so if God just suddenly had to, if God uh, didn't die for us and just suddenly said, you know what, Adam and Eve, I'm coming back into the world. I'm coming, I'm setting everything right straight away. Then he goes against his gift of giving us choice. He actually forces us to follow him again. 
So God's got to do something wise because he's realized we've stuffed up. We've made the wrong choice. So how does he then get us back onto the same path with him? There's multiple things that is actually wrong with this whole situation. And one of the things that God's got to do is he's got to die on the cross for us um, because, because we, 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 he's given us the choice, but we've made the choice that is actually illegal in the world that he's created um, to go against God is actually, it, it's wrong. Um, and so he's got to take on the punishment for our wrong. So he dies on the cross to take on our punishment. And then in so doing, he doesn't just, although salvation, as Black has said, is offered to everybody, he still doesn't go against our choice, um, which is which is actually just amazing if you think about it. Like he figures out the most perfect solution. He dies for the world and yet still doesn't go against our choice. He still offers it, us to, us to, offers it to us and then gives us 60, 70 years of life, however long we live, to, to choose that. So we can choose the right thing, but he never, ever throughout the whole thing forces us to be in a relationship with him. And that I think is the second, the two acts of grace. One is dying on the cross for us. And the second is giving us choice to follow him. Um, I think let's go to this one next. Okay. So uh, why was Jesus brought to earth as a man and not as a woman? That's a good question. So, Lauren, do you want to answer that since you're a woman? Sure. It's easier for you to answer it than us. It is a great question because uh, we believe that both men and women are created in God's image, have equal value, have equal um, worth to contribute to the world. Um, I think there's two things. God chooses to speak to, him, speak to us about himself often in terms of being a father and using male um, images, partially because the world we live in is structured in that way so um for thousands of years we have seen the patriarchy at work and not to sound like an angry feminist it's just the truth you know we've had kings as the primary leaders or male presidents or things like that um so very practically if jesus had come as a man he wouldn't have been allowed into certain areas of the synagogue so he wouldn't been have had the freedom to teach where he taught he um he would have had different expectations on him in that society. So he wouldn't have actually had the freedom to be a teacher and walking around. And we know that Jesus said he came to teach. Mm. So very practically, God was like, because of the time and history I'm sending him, it needs, he needs to be a man. Um, but also God has traditionally and throughout scripture chosen to speak to him of himself in those male terms. Um, and, you know, it's easy for us to go, what does that mean? But he also uses like female images of himself because he is so incredibly perfect in all his characteristics. Um, but I do think it is, it was practical. So that's one aspect of the answer. Mm. You want to say more to that? Well, B, do you want to ask some more? No, no, I, th I think, I think that's spot on. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's spot on. There's probably deeper waters, but I don't think there's time for that, but but that's spot on. But can I uh, can I add something and just say that although Jesus came as a man, uh, what is really striking if you read through the book of Luke is his relationship with women was amazing. Like he was he never um, excluded women. He never so, excluded women. So he never. So him coming as a man didn't doesn't make the kingdom predominantly a man thing. Jesus was at every turn like high level women followed him, sinful women followed him, and he didn't like shun them he always he was the most kind of revolutionary in terms of how he taught, taught women and treated women 
than any other. I mean, women wouldn't have learned Torah. They wouldn't have learned any of the things that men in that society did. And Jesus never excluded women from his teaching or from following him or discipleship or anything. Yeah. Amen. All right. Uh, so how much time do we have left? Okay, we've still got 10 more minutes. Uh, let's, let's show that there's... Let's uh, maybe do um, this one here. Uh, Jesus didn't say he is that the one you're looking at. Mm. Jesus didn't say he is God. He said he's God's son. son. So I'm okay to accept him as just a really great man with good principles. Um, Christian, since he is the only way to God, as he said, but he's not God, and I can still. But if he's not God, I can still be a Christian and not believe. He's if he is God, I still think I'll go to heaven. Did I read that right? Um, so I think what the heart of what we're saying here yeah. is, um, is does it matter for us to believe that Jesus is God's son? Can you love Jesus, see all his goodness, believe in him, trust in him, but leave out that like he is God's son? Yeah. I think we all have an answer to that. So if, like, if you want to go first, what do you have an answer? So like? Does the question, um, um, believing in Jesus as God's son and not as God, is that the question? Yeah. No, no, no. I think it's different. I I think the question, please message and correct us if I'm wrong. The heart of it is, does it matter to believe in Jesus' deity? Yeah. What if I see all his goodness and love him and trust him, but don't acknowledge saying, his though. deity? Does that matter? I think that's what Black was saying as well. Though. So I, think, oh, is I think Black was getting, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah so, I mean, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be rude at all, and I'll elaborate on the question. But if that's what you believe, then you're a Muslim. You're not, you're not a Christian because they, Muslims believe that Jesus was a, was a cool prophet um, and he was a cool guy and he taught well and he did nice things on earth, right? Um, and they, they regard him as, as um, any other prophet from any other religion. So, so you, you would be a Muslim and not a Christian because what makes Christians Christians in light of who Jesus is, is we believe wholeheartedly that Yes, he was a good teacher. He was a nice prophet. He was a dope dude to hang around with. Um, but above all of that, he is God himself, uh, because that has that has implications for 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 our salvation. That has implications for um, um, yeah, yeah, him hanging on the cross. So, so I mean, I, I would say probably just practically spend some time reading. The, the Gospel of John, because John labors really hard uh, to to make that distinction. Um, even the other epistles that he wrote, so uh, one John, two and three, he labors really hard to make to make that um, to make that point that Jesus is not just um, uh, a human like the rest of us, or just a cool teacher or prophet, but but he is God. I mean, the opening chapter of of uh, John's gospel, he speaks about how God it, it became one of us um, in, in, in how Jesus um, wore human flesh, you know, so, so, so um, he, he, he is God. And, and, and again, it has major implications on, on our salvation, because if Jesus is just a dude like the rest of us, um, then it, 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 it wouldn't, it wouldn't, he wouldn't have um, um, uh, had um, he, he brought enough shoulders to hold on 
the, the the wrath of God and give us and give us the salvation that we need because no other human had been able to do that. Adam failed. All the kings failed. Even the greatest king, David, he failed. Um, you know, but 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 Jesus, there's this big word uh, that theologians use. Uh, it's uh, the term hypostatic union, meaning that he's a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God, and only Jesus in the history of the universe. Um, has been able to be a hundred percent man and hundred percent God and hold those two things um, at, at the same time equally, you know. So, 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 so he 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 can't just be uh, a man because no man could uh, withstand the wrath of God. Um, so it makes the picture of salvation and the reality of salvation that much greater because God Himself gives with Himself. Um, to take on his own wrath so that we we may we may have life. Um, so yeah, you, you have to you have to wrestle with that with that truth with those two things, um, or you are or you just yeah again just a moral person or you Muslim, um, but you have to wrestle with with those two truths. Anyway, I probably said a lot there. No, that was great, and that was actually spot on on the answer. So well and done, can Black. I, can I also just say one more thing? Yeah, yeah. Is that um? Sorry, guys. Can you guys yeah. uh, move her just a little bit away? Sorry, guys. Um, Hold on, let me take it for a second. Oh, that should be fine. Um, well, this is such a good question because the heart of it actually is like can i have jesus all the stuff i like about him but the stuff is quite offensive and when he says things that yeah, i'm a yeah. bit nervous to stick my own name to like all homosexuality is wrong or whatever then i'm a bit uncomfortable and the truth is jesus is kind of an all or nothing kind of guy you know it is what it is um so this is such a great question um can we have bits of jesus that we like that we feel comfortable with but not all of it and uh no, you can't, because then he'd be selling himself short. His greatest gift to us is him, all of him. He wouldn't, he would only halfway love us if he only gave us choice of half his characteristics. He's like, I love you. I'm going to give you all of me. Yeah. I'm going to go deal with screaming. Okay. So, uh, okay. So, guys, I think, let me just check if there's any other questions on my phone. Um, no, I didn't. Okay, guys, so there's no other questions on my phone. Um, so it's good because, I mean, we've got five more minutes. We can we can spend some time in prayer. Um, but I just want to say that if you if you have come to this or you're listening to the recording, hopefully what you get from this is that Christianity is not an irrational thing to believe in. And I think that I, I said right from the start that the reason we do stuff like this is because, one, if you're a Christian, it affirms that you believe in something that is true. Um, you never want to be one of those people who says, I take a leap of faith and believe in Christianity, hoping that it's true. Man, I don't want to be at my deathbed going, is this thing maybe going to be true? I want to know it's true. Um, because the great thing about Christianity is when you, if you know it's true, Christianity does not say um, you have to do a lot of things to, become, to be a Christian. Christianity says all you've got to do is just believe in Jesus. He's done all the work for you. Which means if you know this is true, then you know that you are in a perfect relationship with Jesus from the start. And you know that when you die, you are going to be in heaven with Jesus. Like there is no question. Uh, so I have no 
like one of the questions a lot of people have in these things is how do I know I'm going to be in heaven one day? I'm like, man, I can, I can speak for black. I can speak for myself. I can speak for most of our leaders. We know when we die, we are going to be with Jesus. So if I, if I'm fortunate enough and I get to, and I, and, I, and my, my death is an instance, hopefully before I die, I'm going to just be so excited. I'm going to be like that guy at the plane at the airport getting on the plane yes it's going to be sad i'm not going to say i'm not going to not have tears because i'm leaving my uh, family i'm leaving my friends but they all know that i'm going to a way better country a way better city um that's infinitely better and then i'm going to see jesus and hopefully it's going to be like the prodigal son situation where as i get into the other side there he is and instead of me running to him he's running to me although i can guarantee you i'm probably going to be running to him as well and then, I mean, that's the coolest thing about the prodigal son. I mean, the, he throws off his cloak, which means he doesn't care about what he's wearing. He's just like, Gareth, you're home. And that's an exciting truth. Um, but again, I don't want to get to to my death and not know that this is true. And if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, you might look at Christianity and go, why should I believe in it? Well, the truth is, if it is the truth, then why would you not believe in it? Because the one thing is... You know things like hell exist, if it's true. Uh, you know that there's a God of the world. So you know that there's someone who you can speak to when you're trying to figure out how the world works. You can chat to the guy who created it. But lastly, the one thing that the Bible offers is it offers a life of joy. It doesn't offer a life of happiness where you just suddenly this like dude who's on ecstasy all the time, running around going, yeah, I'm happy all the time. It's not that. It means that when you look over your life over a period of time, you go, yes, I went through challenges, but overall, my life is so much better because of, uh, because of what Jesus has done. Uh, and that's an amazing thing to have. Uh, you know, no one else can offer you that. We, we all think we can, we can maybe control the future in some way. Like we think if I just get the right degree or if I just do these kinds of things. But the truth is we do not know what the future holds. The only thing we can do is we can believe in Jesus and trust that because he knows the future and because he's in control, he's going to give us the best life that we can have. All right. So with that, I want to end on that note. Uh, and I think we can have a time of prayer. Um, so let me uh, let me close off in prayer for us. Or actually, Rafael, would you like to close off in prayer for us? Can you? Oh no, Phil is yes, microphone. Oh, you can. Oh, good. Okay. Yes, I can. <laughs> awesome. All right, Rafael, please pray for us. Okay, thank you. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Christ's name, we thank you so much for the gift of another day, uh, and thank you particularly for the gift of this grill, a black, a Gareth, and a Lauren. Um, it was such a fruitful and wonderful event, and we are so glad that your name was glorified. Um, uh, people may be drawn um, is uh, our prayer and our hope, and that people would come to love you as you ought to be loved. Uh, we really are grateful for the opportunity to do this, the opportunity to um, know you, the opportunity to tell others about you, uh, we thank you for the teams that have come. We thank you for the teams that will watch. And in fact, we thank you for anyone who, who will watch this as you draw them to yourself. Um, we are so grateful to be known as your children for the gift of salvation, for the gift of your love and a gift of relationship when it was broken. 
that you made a way, you came, Lord God, and you made a way for us to be with you. We are so grateful for who you are, Father. Uh, may your name always be glorified. And again, we thank you for all things that you do and particularly for who you are. In Christ's name, um, I pray this and for his sake and may you always be exalted. Amen. Amen.